you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Coming up on Huddle and Flow. I mean, I dreamed of this, right? I'm a, I'm, I mean, I'm a Southeast D.C. kid, you know, growing up in the inner city, having dreams of playing for the Washington team, having dreams of, I mean, just, I was just a football fanatic, just everything football, football. And obviously I had dreams of, you know, playing at the highest level, playing at the National Football League. But, you know, your everyday life, you know, you open your eyes and you realize, man, that's so far from where I'm at. <laughs> you know, that's so far from where I'm at. So you just start on your journey and just with belief and commitment that I'm going to try everything possible to get there. That's next on Huddle and Flow. Welcome to a very special Hot and Flow podcast brought to you by Intuit, the proud makers of TurboTax, Mint, and QuickBooks. I'm Steve White, with my guy Jim Trotter, two-thirds of the Howard Mob. Thomas Warren on the ones and twos completes the puzzle. Jim, we got an absolutely incredible guest on today. Newly minted Super Bowl champ Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator, took some time after the Super Bowl parade to come hang with us. Steve, you know, um, this is how I tell just what a quality individual someone is, is that when something comes up and they could very easily blow you off and you know that they have every reason to blow you off, such as Byron Leftwich, a few days after winning a Super Bowl, the parade, all the other things going on where he could say, you know what, I'll get back to you later in the offseason. But no, what does he do? He shows up when he says he's going to show up. To me, that speaks to a man's character and what he's about. So our listeners are going to enjoy this interview because um, Byron Leftwich is going to be a head coach in the NFL. Yep. And when, when you listen to this interview, you understand why and what he brings to the table. So I'm excited for folks to hear this. Yeah, look, we covered him as a player. You know, he was in Atlanta for a season uh, when I covered him. We really, we really got to know him well. And, you know, to see his growth as a coach, I mean, he has not been doing this for long. And to dial up a 31-9 Super Bowl victory over the Kansas City Chiefs, some of the things they did creatively offensively, and really offensively down the stretch of the back half of the season, goes to show his football acumen, his ability to relate. But when you hit this interview, just his overall approach to dealing with adversity, to dealing with hype, to dealing with non-hype, and how it translates to how you lead is as impressive as it gets. Again, Jim, I think I think you'd agree with this. He could save some nice chunks of this interview and just present them to NFL owners at the interview table next year and say, this is exactly what you're getting, and this is why I'm that dude. Absolutely. You know, with, with you saying that, Steve, I'm like, you know what? Let's get to it. Let's just give it to the listeners now. All right, Jim, now we're joined by our special guest, and he uh, he's making no bones about what time it is. He is rocking his Super Bowl champion's hat. <laughs> Here's Byron Leftwich, the champion OC for the Buccaneers left, man. Thanks for joining us here on the Huddle and Flow. No problem, man. Appreciate you guys having me. Left, how you feeling, man? I mean, the hat says it all. How you feeling at this moment? Yeah, we're feeling good right now. We're feeling good right now now. Obviously, it was a big game for us. We found a way to win it. It's an exciting time here in Tampa. The parade was the craziest thing I've seen. I've never <laughs> seen a parade like on the water like that. I, I mean, it was so many people. It's amazing. Uh, this city has been good to us since we got here. Uh, we didn't have no, really not a lot of fans in the stands, but to see all the fans standing around, I mean, that was a unique, special thing to even be a part of. But just to see how long it went of people, it was just good. It's just good for the city. It's good that the energy here in the city. So it's an exciting time for us. 
Lev, how do you describe that journey this year? The, the focus was on you guys from the moment Tom said he was coming to Tampa, and it was just wild. Can you take us behind the curtain and just describe what that journey was like this year for you all? Uh, I remember when the first day of training camp, I remember being with an assistant coach and we walking in to, you know, do our COVID testing and and there's like five helicopters flying over the time. So <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, first day of camp, first day we reported. And right then I turned to him and said, Hey, this is gonna be different than anything everybody has experienced. So we gotta I gotta make sure that they understand what's gonna happen week in and week out with every loss, with every win how it's going to be, we'll be the best team in the world one week and we'll be the worst team in the world the next week. So I knew right then and there when I saw that we'll have an opportunity to be, have a kind of strange year from that standpoint, a different, you know, because anytime you got Tom Brady on your team, it's different. So it was, it was everything you imagined. It was just, it was fun the whole way though. It was fun the whole way from week one to week 20. I love the way our guys fought. We hung in there and through tough situations and found a way through. Was it like being with, uh, with, with, with Michael Jackson and the Jackson, so to speak, where you guys, everywhere you went, everything you did, you know, it was like pop stars almost. Yeah, and we knew everybody would, you know, because these type, you know, they try to make these dream teams or whatever type of teams, they come up like every four or five years, right, in every different sports, right? So they feel as though a bunch of guys get together. And we didn't feel as though we had a certain type of – we just added Tom Brady and Rock, and Grunt. So, you know – Those are two pretty big additions. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But at the same time, it was people that was already here that adds to that. So we knew week in and week out, we're getting everybody's best. And we ain't even done nothing yet, you know. <laughs> so it was a matter of making sure we come in, get the work in we need to get into – live up to our potential. And guys came in and did what they had to do, work their tail off to get to this point. And I'm just so happy for everybody that was here before, the Vontaze, the Donovan Smiths, the Cameron Brates, the guys that have been, Mike Evans, the guys that been here that are talented enough to play in these type of games, just never had the ability or the chance to really be a part of these type games. So to see them win, it's a special thing for me. When you got the news that Tom Brady was was coming in, what was your focus? Like, okay, I I'm, I'm coaching the goat. Like, I'm coaching the goat, or is it like, okay, this is going to be a little bit different than maybe coaching a rookie or even a, a five year free agent vet. I mean, I was excited because there was some. It was a relationship already there, so I knew me and him would be good. I knew our relationship would be good. It was more excitement to have that type of guy to be able to have the ability to coach. Uh, it was no fear. It was like, man, what can we possibly do? I just wanted to let's start talking football so I can so we can combine our thought patterns and become one. And because we year in and year out, the offense is what the quarterback is. So I just wanted to build on our quarterback relationship as quick as possible with the understanding that you can't really unless you know a guy, you can't really put him in position or you can't really call plays for him and have consistent success. So I knew I had to learn him. I had to figure out what he likes, what he does well, how how he sees things, how his body's going to react in certain situations in a situational football standpoint. So it, it was tough early because we didn't have no OTAs, no preseason to get all that done. We had to do it all on the fly. But we both put the work in, and it worked out. Lef, what was that conversation like when he – first got to Tampa, was coming to your house, and he got lost. Um, <laughs> when, when, when he finally showed up, how does that conversation begin in terms of the process you're talking about? Well, it was just really to just pass him over, like, really a playbook. So it was not really like that. That conversation was really uh, – didn't last that long, maybe five minutes, you know, because we had knew each other of that, but it's just – I was just really giving him a hard copy of what so he can visualize it instead of me trying to tell him to it, him looking at it on the iPad. He's old school like me. <laughs> so, we, <laughs> so we still like paper. We don't want everything on our phone, you know? <laughs> so, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So that was just that and just really just introducing ourselves from a football standpoint is just 
from that point on, it was just, hey, let's try to get get this thing down, pack it like we needed to make sure we're playing our best football in December. Because our whole goal was to make sure we're playing good football in December, knowing that there will be bumps in the road along the way. Well, that box was checked. But left, you know, you, you know, you played the position. You talked about learning Tom. You had a relationship, but just kind of learning him. But you got 10 other players on that offense, you know, as starters and other people rotating in. What was it like them learning him, him learning them? Because some of those guys might have been intimidated just because he is Tom Brady. Or or did, was he the guy who made them all feel like, hey, at ease, it's all good. Let's go ahead and get this going. It's, it may take some time, like you just said. Tom, see, Tom's a different type of superstar. The, you know, the, the unique guys that I've been around, especially – I mean, Tom, I mean, he, he communicates with everyone. You know, he has the ability to communicate with everyone. So it was never a situation. I mean, within the f- first day of camp, guys are already joking with him in a way that you wouldn't joke with a six-time champ or, or the guy that they call the goat, you know? Just wait, like wait, get away, left. Give us an example. Give us uh, an example. Like Shade called him six-time. <laughs> like, like it was the nicknames that he was you know he was just one of the guys sitting amongst the guys and COVID made it so different so we were separate but when we did get the opportunity to get together it was just it was just amazing to see him amongst his teammates offense defense special teams guys he's throwing the Scotty Miller he's throwing the Mike Evans he's throwing the Cyril He's throwing the Mickens. He's throwing the guys that people wouldn't normally throw to. And he's, you know, he's throwing the Hudson, the tight end. So he 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 loves the game of football so much. He loves what football brings. He loves being around football people. So to see him operate in that type of environment is a unique thing. But, I mean, he's, he's a unique guy. He's special. Obviously, he's a great football player. But the human being and how he is with his teammates off the field is special also. You know, Lef, you played this position. Um, to see a guy doing it at 43 at the level that he's doing it, could you have ever, ever imagined that a, a quarterback would be doing it at that level that efficiently at 43 years old in the NFL? Hell no. Like, you know, <laughs> you just didn't think it was possible, right? Like, like you watched the tape of him and, I knew his arm was still live. You know, you could tell, oh, man, he still got a live arm. So you knew his arm was live, but then you get around it and you're like, look at that ball. It's it's the type of ball that he throws. It's a friendly ball. It's a penetrating ball. So it was unique to see him to be able to do all these things still. Hell, I just turned 41 and I tried to, you know, <laughs> and to see him, I'm like, man, just the see how he's able to still do things that young guys could do. Then, you you know, I started talking to him, conversating about it. He started this process 20 years ago, you know, mm-hmm. 18, 17 years ago. And it's a testament of hard work, of having an understanding, of having an end goal in mind. And you see all the sacrifices he had to make along the way to be able to, you know, play this long. So, I mean, it's amazing to see him do it, but it's amazing to see the commitment that it takes to make sure you're capable of playing this long. That's the thing we heard from Steph Curry uh, last week. He talked about greatness and the sacrifices that are made. And I don't think we on the outside really understand when you're talking about that level of player, what all it is that they sacrifice to do what they do. So it's great to hear you say that because I, I don't know that I have that type of discipline, you know, to be able to set everything else aside and stay on the straight and narrow path to get to where I want to go. It's, it's, it's really amazing. It's the consistency that always jumps in the way, right? The real yes, sir. professional guys do it seven days a week for 300 weeks, right? Yes, <laughs> So to be around those type of guys, this is unique where the guys can get in that mental space and get things done. And um, anything he, he's committed to, he fully commits to it. And it's, it's, it's unique to see on the day-in, day-out basis. Well, Byron, I mean, you, you can just see the people around him. Like, you know, his family knows him well because before the Super Bowl, he was like, you all have got to skedaddle for these couple of weeks while I'm prepping. And they were like, cool, we want to see you go ahead and get another ring. I, I think we all kind of get in that mode when it's about the Super Bowl. <laughs> I think everybody kind of goes into just 
because it's a, such a hard thing to do. I mean, man, it's so hard to get this thing accomplished. It's so many obstacles that come along the way. It's so many people involved in it. So it's 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 a tough thing to accomplish, man. And when you accomplish it, it's a, it's a great feeling. And obviously, he's done it seven times. He's had the opportunity to do it t- ten times. That's just that's, that's crazy. Just crazy. That's that's crazy. That's crazy, and that's something that I don't think we'll ever see. You know, I just don't know if we'll see that, just the way that football is now. I don't know if guys will be in the same place 20 years anymore, you know, or be able to play, be in their 21st year playing at a high level. Uh, I hope so because I love the position. I love the play of the position. We all like to see good quarterback play, so I hope there's guys that's seeing this, and it will be guys that's – Watching Tom Brady right now, that's going to come behind him and try their best to get eleven. But that's what's that's what's great about our sport. That's what's great about competition. You you know, once one guy's success motivate the next group of younger guys, and hopefully we'll see that. All right, you know, I, I, Jim, I, 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 I want to jump off right here because you said you love the position, and this is where I want to get to you as a coach because a lot of people who are former quarterbacks coach the position through their eyes, right? You seem to have adjusted or, or come to a meeting of the minds with Tom or your quarterback group to coach it through their eyes. How was that process to kind of really come together and collaborate as to what the best type of thing was for this particular system and this particular quarterback? Well, well that was always the process because, like you said, I played and I've been in situations where that wasn't the case, you know. <laughs> So, you know, oh, we're going to get to that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so as a coach, my whole mindset, it's all about the quarterback. You know, it's about the quarterback all the time. So you do what the quarterback do best. The tough part that was for me and Tom. And I never think we I never I really don't believe we ever struggled throughout the year. I think we had bad moments within games. We had bad plays within games, But we would listen. We were six and two, seven and two. And people were scoring 30 points and people saying something's not right because we lost a good football team. So I don't think we've ever really struggled. I just think we had to learn. It was always about that from the beginning of the training camp. We're going to do – it was all about Tom. But we needed that experimental period, and we only got it within games because it was brand new. Uh, We just got together. Our first game was – first opportunity we had to showcase was the New Orleans Saints, you know, week one. Right. You, you don't want to be trying to figure things out, you know, against that caliber of football team. So we had bumpy patches throughout the year because of things like that. I think halfway through the year, we got a good understanding. Once I got a good understanding of Tom, I knew I kind of know everything of how he'll react. It's really about reactions, right? Because what you do on paper and what your body reacts to is, two different things. So once I got the understanding of where he'll go with the ball and how he'll see certain players really in certain spots, because it's not really about, you know, the concept It's who we got in that concept and why we got them there as opposed to being over somewhere else. So it was just all that communication had to happen. And we hit a few bumps in the road there during the year. But then for the most part, I think we, you know, he did an excellent job, man. I mean, he had a heck of a year. He did an excellent job of putting us in position to win football games week in and week out. Yeah, but Lef, you did an excellent job too. Because I always say, with players like Tom, the great ones, there's an ego involved, whether anyone admits it or not. And I'll never forget even on, I think, our show, Larry Fitzgerald talking about there's almost a selfishness when you're a great player because you know what it takes to to get it done at a certain level, and sometimes you have to sacrifice certain things. So I, I don't want you to to minimize your role in this and, and the success that this offense and this team had. Um, but going back, what I'd like to do for a minute is let people know your journey, why this is so important or, or why this is so special to you coming out of D.C., you know, a kid um, down at Woodson High School and whatnot. Tell me how what you dreamed about as a kid playing this game, what you envision for yourself and why a moment like this becomes so special for you. I mean, I dreamed of this, right? I'm a, I'm a, I mean, I'm a Southeast DC kid, you know, <laughs> growing up in the inner city, having dreams of playing for the Washington team, having dreams of, I mean, just, I was just a football fanatic, just 
everything football, football. And obviously I had dreams of, you know, playing at the highest level, playing at the National Football League. But, you know, your everyday life, you know, you open your eyes and you realize, man, that's so far from where I'm at. <laughs> you know, that's so far from where I'm at. So you just start on your journey and just with belief and commitment that I'm going to try everything possible to get there. And then having the opportunity to get there, make it get drafted in the first round. Uh, exciting feeling. I can't even explain the feeling of, you know, of that achievement. And then retiring, still being around the game of football, becoming a coach, and still having that same feeling almost that you have as a player. It's a unique thing. But now you just have a different mindset. Like, you know, as a coach, I've already had my time. I played in this league. It's not about me right now, to be honest with you. That's how I really view it. It's my job to put these men, these young men in position to play their best football because I want to see them. I want to give guys opportunities. I want to see guys that nobody know of get an opportunity and become a great football players, become, you know, just being able to take care of their families. However, whatever comes out of it, whatever skill set, whatever is as good as they can be possibly, I want to see that happen for the player. So that's mainly why I'm in it. I'm in it to really of being in this league and understanding how it can be sometimes. I want to just put guys in position to be their best selves week in and week out so they can do all of the above of taking care of their family, achieving their goals in this league that we play in and doing the things at the best of their ability. So that's that's how I view it really week in and week out. But what's interesting, Left, is that you didn't want to get into coaching. You had no desire at the time that you retired. I know B.A. had mentioned it to you, but why did you not think that was your career path after after football? Because I didn't really, you know, I didn't really give no thought into what coaching was about. You know what I mean? Or what or the opportunities there in coaching. I think more it was more about as a player. You see yourself as a player. You know, you never really see. I never saw myself as a coach. But when I look back on it, my last half of my career, that's that's really what I was doing. You know, that's really what I was doing to the young Emmanuel Sanders, to the young Antonio Browns, to the having to be a different set of eyes and ears for Ben Roethlisberger. So it was it was kind of what I was doing, really, as a backup quarterback, because you see everything. You see things more than the, the sometimes the starter is so focused on getting the job done. You'll see things that he's not probably seeing just because you're not in that mindset. So you're able to help more, be able to reach out more, able to, able to get people in position more for the starting quarterback so they can have a true understanding of how he's going to react to certain concepts. Hmm. All right, now that you are coaching, though, from your playing career, I mean, what types of things have you, you taken, you know, from Tomlin, you know, from Raheem, from Bruce, from, from all the guys that you've played with, that's now kind of helping shape you as a coach. Well, the best thing about, you know, those guys you talk about, B.A., Mike Tomlin, right? like they're going to shoot you straight, right? So you you don't have to just be honest. Just be honest. And being a guy that has been in the locker room before, that's all I've ever wanted. That's all we mm. ever want. Just be honest with me and do whatever thing possible you can to help me as a player. That's all they care about. And if they feel as though you'll do those things for them, Hell, man, they'll do whatever, and they'll knock down the wall for you. But in reality, you're really just doing it for them so they can be at their best. So good football players only want to just good information to help them play their best, and that's what that's what I try to do. And that's what I learned really from those guys of just being a leader of men and having the opportunity to shoot straight with guys, which is easy for me. That's easy for me, and just – try to help them as much as possible. But I learned from some guys, the Mike Tomlins, BAs, obviously, you know, those are two, you know, big guys to learn from, two main guys that you can learn a lot from. Lev, that's an important character trait for a head coach. I'm just wondering, what else does it take? Because obviously you're going to be in that pipeline now for guys who are going to get opportunities to interview for a head coaching job. What other traits or qualities do you feel are important for someone to be a successful head coach besides just honesty? Well, I mean, I think ultimately you got to be a leader of men. Uh, you got to be a leader of men. You got to have the ability to communicate with a lot of different type of people because football players come from everywhere now. 
I talk about it all the time. I remember when I first got in this league, it was it felt as if it was very few guys in the league from where I was from, right? It just felt that way when I was in the league, uh, 03, 04, when I first got in the league. Now it feels though I, I, I know these kids. <laughs> it feels like I grew up with a lot of them. You know? <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's it's just, it's more diverse, especially in the locker rooms. And you know, you gotta be able to communicate with all people. All people, you gotta have the ability to communicate. You gotta have the ability to uh have awareness and understanding of what you're talking about because they're gonna be the first people to call your bluff if you're bluffing. So mm. just you just be honest with the guys, and that's all it normally takes. Just give them good football advice, give them good football knowledge to help them play the best and be a leader of men and try to help these guys to the best of your ability. That's really all you can do as a coach, right? Help these men be better football players. Help these men be better human beings. That's your responsibility as a coach. You were asked about it during Super Bowl because the whole topic about coaching diversity, the lack of diversity, head coaching hires, Eric Bieniemy, the OC for the Chiefs, was like, "Look, I want to be a head coach, but I don't want. I, I didn't get into this to be the example of the the diversity hiring issues yeah. <laughs> of the NFL. Well, you're you're going to be that guy next year. You you know, you and Eric are going to be there next year. I mean, you're going to know going to next season. People are going to make Byron Leftwich is going to be on the short list, right? So, how are you transitioning into that kind of? Because you know, BA's. I'm, I'm pissed that Byron didn't get an interview. I mean. How are you kind of thinking more globally now? Like, okay, people are going to be talking about me. They're going to talk about me in the context of the diversity or lack thereof head coaching issue while I'm also trying to do my job. Well, the tough part for me is that I'm new to the process, right? So I haven't really even been through the process yet to say, you know, to know what it's like because, I, like you said, I haven't been interviewed. But there's a history, and I hear the people before me, and I hear them talk. And now that I get asked the question, I try to answer it to the best of my ability with the understanding that I've never been through the process myself. But with that being said, I understand the responsibility that comes with that. Uh, it's nothing you can, we can't answer questions that it's tough to ask, like I had said last week. We're the guys that's trying to be interviewed for the job. We can't answer the questions that's being asked of us. That's like we can't ask that because it's it's not for us to answer. We thank you being asked questions that we can't answer. All all people will really want is an opinion of what we think of the process. And that's really irrelevant, right? <laughs> it's yep. really irrelevant when you think of it. Uh I just I, I hear E B, I heard E B had to answer that question. I hear myself had to answer that question. It's a tough question to answer because that question shouldn't be headed toward us as the guys that's trying to be interviewed for the jobs. Because like you heard EB, he don't have no answer. He's not trying to be the poster boy for this. Uh, he's a good football coach. There's a lot of good African-American football coaches. There's just a lot of good coaches in general that, I mean, it's, it's tough to answer those questions sometimes because you have no idea, especially me being young, not going through the process, but we can't speak for other people. Yeah, you know, it's like Tony Dungy always says you can't legislate morality. And right. look, you guys, you guys, and I've always said this left, so you don't have to speak on it, but I always say just put up resume, blind resumes, no names on it, anything, and just put up what men have done. And then when you do that, if you can tell me that a Nick Sirianni or a Dan Campbell or even a Brandon Staley deserve this opportunity more than some others. When you look at their resume, I'll shut up. But you can't objectively look at those blind resumes and say that. That's that's my point. And that's why I say to people, until we get to that point where we can see objectively, you all say you want the best, the most qualified person, until we see objectively that those are the people being hired, um, I think Steve and I and others are gonna keep preaching on this, that about this process not being fair, um, not being representative. And the worst part for me is that it's bad for football because you're not getting the best people in place and the message that's being sent is wrong. So I respect what you said. I know when I talked to you last week and you said, we can't answer this question because, you know, we don't have the answer to it, you know, and you don't. It, it, the answer lies with the owners. And until they correct their behavior, 
um, this is going to continue. And unfortunately, you and Eric and others will continue to be asked this question. All right, I'm off my so- I'm off my soapbox now. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, part of it's on the media as well, which yeah. leads me to this. Yes, it is, though. It is. Really, it is. It is, which leads me to this, because one of the – I mean, it's going to be a lasting moment, Byron, and you were just the totally unintended victim of this. When some dude is asking you how you guys were defending Patrick Mahomes. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. Man, well, I mean, how did you even process it? Because you were just like, well, you got me mistaken with Todd. But, like, what were you? <laughs> but, but, see, even before that question, they called him Brian. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he had to correct them and say it's Byron, you know? <laughs> anyway, go ahead, man. I'm sorry. Hey, man, all I know, I was just leaving the locker room. We had just came. We, you know, we were celebrating in the locker room. And I almost forgot that I had to do the interviews. And, you know, so it was a, it was an exciting time for us. So nothing really wasn't still in that moment away. But I almost Good. just went and answered it because me and Todd talked, I think, before somebody asked him that and thought I was him. So I was, we just going to start answering the question for each other. <laughs> we just go you know start answer. I think we know each other well enough to answer the questions now for each other. But left what I said half jokingly is they ought to use that clip in any interview you do for a head coaching job just to say, look how poised he was in terms of answering that question. It's true. You know? It's true. Because because me, I don't know. I might have just said, look, bro, I know we all look alike, but come on now. It, it, it ain't that hard to figure out. I'm not Todd Bowles, you know? Like so. I told you, I, I wasn't even in that. I was in such a good mindset, you know what I mean? Nothing wasn't taking that moment away from us. Just leaving the locker room with the fellas, leaving the locker room with the guys. It was such a good moment, man. It's, it is what it is, right? So it's just... Hey, move on. <laughs> I, I feel you handled it well. Hey, uh, hey, hey Brian, Todd. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> just some stuff about the game a little bit because, I mean, what we saw you guys do offensively was just so surgical and so efficient. You know, Tom was MVP, but they only had 201 yards throwing the ball. I mean, a lot of it's because your defense put you guys in, in, in great positions. But what did you guys change up? from the first time you played, I mean, not even that game, because the back half of the season, we saw your offensive line mauling, Leonard Fournette really step up in the run game, and that showed itself big time in the Super Bowl. Man, we we felt as though we played seven really good quarters against them guys. I think Mm -hmm. uh, them guys jumped out on the first quarter as an offense. We didn't convert third downs. We had two early third downs that we went three and out, three and out, and we had convertible third downs that we just didn't make. So even though we lost that game, I think me personally, because of those two early first downs, it was time. It was ability for us to go into the lab and teach off those moments. You know, we got an opportunity that that following week to show how important situational football is. Because uh, I think the last three quarters of that game, we played well. You know, so we were. It's but to win football games versus good football teams, it takes four four quarters of good execution, play in and play out, and. We had a lot of those moments happen to us throughout the year versus good football teams. So, you know, we played the Rams. We lost a close game. We just ain't played well enough in situational football. We had to use that opportunity to learn. Same thing with the Chiefs. Uh, we lost to the Saints twice. We had an opportunity. These are good football teams that anybody can lose to. But at the same time, if you don't play your best, especially in situational football, you, you can lose these games. So it was good for us to see that. And to understand how we're going to have to play when it's good on good football to ultimately get to our main goal. You know, Lef, um, I wanted to ask you what the moment meant for B.A. Because prior to the game and talking to folks who were close to him, including um, the co-author of his book, and he was saying, Lars Anderson was telling me that during Bruce's final two seasons in Arizona, he would say to him, the one thing I haven't done as a head coach that I really need is to win a Super Bowl as a coach. And then even when he got out of the game, when he was broadcasting, he would say to Lars, there's still a hole on my resume, if not in my heart, that I need to coach a team to a Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl. You've been around him during that time. So what did that moment mean for him to finally be able to accomplish that? 
I mean, it was special, right? Uh, he's pretty much achieved everything else. He's won Super Bowls as coordinators. He's won Coach of the Year. Only thing he didn't really have was a Super Bowl as a head coach. So, you know, when you get to this game, you know, the thought is being in Pittsburgh and having the ability to win one and then we lost one also. You cannot lose that game. <laughs> you get that far, you got to find a way to finish it. And, you know, our whole mindset, we all knew it as a staff. Uh, we know it as players that, you know, we're going to try to we're going to try to do what we got to do to win this one and what it would mean for B.A. Uh, just the, the person he is, the human being he is, the opportunity that he's given, not just to coaches, but to players, really, you know, uh, around the league, just to have this type of guy that's you uh, able to work for a week in and week out, day in and day out. It allows it to be easy to come to work every day. So for this for B.A. to win it. It was no way, you know, just from a thought play, it was no, I say this knowing that we had a good opponent, but it was no way we was, we was, we could lose this football game. We had to do everything possible to find a way to win this football game. Just so proud of the staff, so proud of the players of what we was able to accomplish. You know, one thing about BA, we all know, he coaches you hard. And it doesn't matter if you're the 53rd man on the roster or if you're Tom Brady. And not everyone can accept that. So what was that like with the relationship between B.A. and Tom early establishing that foundation of I'm going to coach you hard, we're going to coach you hard, and and waiting to see maybe how he responded to it? Well, well that was part of the five helicopter thing, you know? <laughs> you know, like every little word was going to be taken. They were never in the bad spot. Like, you know, like from my view, they were never in the bad spot. But that that's what happens, right? That's what happens when... You know, you, you're a team where you people feel as though you got a lot of great players week in and week out. You've you seen it week in and week out. The conversation was really about what we did, good or bad, you know, uh, and it was able to carry a story for at least a month. You know, and I, would, <laughs> I would hear stuff on TV. I hear people say stuff on TV. I'm like, man, they just making stuff up, you know, <laughs> this. And I know they completely just making it up. Because so, you're there. I'm right there. Right. That did not right. happen. They'll get on TV and say exactly what happened. And that stuff has never happened. So, But that's part of being involved with the type of team that we're involved in. So that we just threw all that in the, you know, we learned from that also. Because I think it was good for our team because our team, it was new to our team too. Like you say, most of our guys never made the playoffs. Mm-hmm. let alone been a part of Monday morning quarterbacks week in and week out, right? So, you know, with guys telling us what's best for our team week in and week out. So it was uh, it was just part of it. It comes with the territory. It's not stopping either. It'll come up next year. It'll, be, it'll just be that way. <laughs> Something will happen and somebody will, you know, take it out of context. And I mean, it is what it is, but that's part of being a part of winning football teams being a part of a winning organization these things kind of come with it we'll accept it we'll deal with it and we'll just keep working through it look you got that calm demeanor when it comes to that stuff where does that come from that poise and that calm in the eye sort of in the eye of the storm if you will i mean most of the time people just talking right you know (laughs) most of the time people talking you know you you listen just listen to sports it's people just talking real people don't really got no information there's not really no experts out there. We're just talking. Thanks, Laugh. I appreciate you, man. Yeah. Appreciate right. you. End, end of interview. <laughs> Guys making a living of what they like to do and what they talk about. We're all passionate about it. So we all feel as though the way that we see things are the right way or the way that we know this over that person or we should do this so they should do that. Yet alone, we're around these guys every day. <laughs> It's crazy how it's just crazy some of the conversations, but that's come with being on good football teams. I've been on bad football teams where that type of stuff never comes up. So <laughs> that's yeah. just part of being involved in a good program, good football, and having the players that we have, the high five star caliber guys that we have, that comes with the territory. Byron, how much has your playing career, some of the things you went through in your playing career, kind of emboldened you to what you're just talking about as to where? stuff people write or the or the criticism or the, or the people calling in the sports radio talk shows bounces off you because i remember in jacksonville it was like you had fans who loved you and fans who were like you bring in the next guy and you were winning ball games you were getting these guys <laughs> to the playoffs right but so so how much going through that as a player at that position 
as the former you know, seven, number seven overall draft pick kind of hardened you or just made you say, you know, that that stuff is nonsense. We're, we're good. Don't worry about that in our locker room. I think it just allowed me to understand it. You know, it allowed me to understand it. I remember getting drafted, being the leader of the franchise, and then two and a half years later, you know, even though we were 12 and four, it wasn't enough, you mm -hmm. know? So I, I get that. I understand that. I, I, I've been one of those guys that's, as a quarterback, I've been through the ringer. They put me in the blender. They hit high speed, and, and I made my way through it, you know what I mean? Just because learned, I learned a lot during that process. It's just part of being quarterback in this league. If you don't stay healthy, you don't win enough football games or win the, the right football games, this comes with it. So with that understanding, that's why I try to approach the players and make sure I have that in mind with the awareness to try to be the exact opposite of that. You know, try to be the exact opposite of that. Try to truly help the player become a better football player as opposed to, you know, just saying I'm coaching them and not helping them. Right. It's not coaching if you're telling someone to do something and they're not getting the job done or you're not helping them get the job done. You're just telling somebody how to do something. You know, uh, coaching is being able to teach them, put them in position, to be able to do the things that you're trying to tell him to do so he can have success. Uh, so I just view, that's the way I really view that. And I, that's the way I'd approach, you know, coaching and teaching. You know, Le, when you came in, you grew up watching Doug Williams, you know, oh, yeah. and then you, you come in the league, you want to, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the few black quarterbacks drafted in the first round. And now we see it all the time. And, I know on the pod, like week two or week three, we had Doug Williams on, and he said, do you guys realize we got like four games, five games where the starting quarterbacks on each team are black and nobody's really talking about it? I wonder from your standpoint, do you think we've reached that point where race is no longer um, part of the evaluation process, if you will, or a factor in the evaluation of a quarterback? Uh, probably not, right? the fact that we're still talking about it and probably not, right? Because uh, our league is just just really a, you know, our society is more, it, it is what it is throughout the world, right? So it's, it's an American thing. It's a whatever thing, however you want to see it. But we're really here. The NFL is not going to be no different than the rest of the world. So I don't think that, I still think it's involved that anytime we got to say the fact that we're still saying uh, African-American quarterbacks and we're still like you just said that we have to have that conversation says uh, it kind of answers the question for us. Right. Uh, it kind of answered the question for us because like I hear like people say, well, Mike Tomlin is one of the best black black coaches. To, but the fact that we're saying that. Right. Just think of that. That's the fact that we're having that conversation saying it in that way. I think Mike Tom is one of the best coaches in this league, uh, let Period. alone what color he is. So Period. it's just yes. something that, you know, if we're still talking like that, obviously it's uh, in the back of people's minds somewhere for us to be having this conversation. Yeah, you know, the reason I said, too, because folks were saying prior to this Super Bowl, look, um, the last two league MVPs were black quarterbacks. The last um, um, Super Bowl MVP was a black quarterback. Uh, we've had number one picks overall who are black quarterbacks, whether it's Kyler Murray, Jameis Winston, Cam Newton, you know, continue down that line and whatnot. So I will get people say to me, why do you bring that up? It's no longer an issue. And then I say, well, wasn't it just three years ago we had Bill Polian, one of the respect, most respected voices in the game, saying that Lamar Jackson needed to switch positions coming out of college. So have we really advanced past that? Was we just can't mistake movement for progress sometimes. That's uh, movement and progress is two different things sometimes. So sometimes I think we kind of combine those together. That, mm, that we that, just went that, to church that, on that, is, that one. Yeah, that that is how we said, Byron. That that is yes. how that is how you know that, that that's really meaningful. You know, especially again because Jim and I and as you know, the conversation with the, the diverse hiring issue with owners and things like that. I mean, we should we should send them all a placard. Movement doesn't necessarily translate to progress. Um, I'm going to take a hard left here, left, because we have a little fun. Because you and I, <laughs> oh, no, you're not escaping this Because <laughs> you and I have been in locker rooms together. Part of your playing career 
was in Atlanta. And this was the craziest year <laughs> of both of our lives. Okay, so Byron, so Byron was a free agent. I think you were recovering from an injury, right? That's how come you hadn't been signed yet, or were you? No, actually, uh, you remember uh, I got cut right before the day before the uh, the season opener. That was it. Yeah, that I was got it. cut Please. the day before the season so, opener. That's wow. a whole other story. <laughs> okay, but this is when the Falcons 07, Bobby Petrino's the head coach. The whole Michael Vick is gone because of the dog fighting stuff. Joey Harrington is a quarterback who drove Bobby crazy, right? So, so they signed Byron like, what was it about week three, week four? Yeah, week four or something like that. And you'd been with the team like a week. And it was yeah. like a seven to six game at Tennessee, and Bobby puts you in. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it was like, okay, Byron's in. You've been there learning to play for, for like a week. <laughs> and then a couple weeks later, you get hurt with, with, with another ankle injury. Mm-hmm. And then Bobby, of course, quits, you know, after the <laughs> 12 game. Man, bro, that was like the illest whole scenario it could possibly be. And it just has a player in that locker room. Because you knew there were studs in that locker room. Lawyer Malloy, John Abraham. Work done. You had great players in that mm-hmm. locker. What they had to go through. What was it like <laughs> dealing with that environment, bro? I, I mean, it, it was different. I'll say that. I'll say it was different. <laughs> uh, it was just unique to that situation. Like, I mean, I don't think we've ever, like, I don't know. It was just unique. It was a learning experience for me, really, as a player. That's how I really look at view things like that uh it was just different <laughs> it, was, it, was just, it was just it was different i mean it was different for anybody that's been through that it was different for you that was involved in it so it was a different uh situation as you know this league probably seen but it, it is what it is nothing really shocking no more it's just it is what it is i i try to look at those moments that you know you have throughout your just your life and try to lose use them as learning moments and just things that help me get better things that that made me a better football player that made me a better human being really just going through that seeing the pain of all the players because there was so much stuff going on you know what i mean that that was really irrelevant to football so i mean it, it was what it was uh just something i'll put in my memory bank and just i tell my son about <laughs> what about the staff on that team? I mean, because of all that craziness, I don't think people realize how great that coaching staff was. Yeah, it was Zim was there. You had Hugh, man. You Jerry had Rossberg. Yeah, you Jerry had Rossberg. Yeah, Jerry Rossberg. Long time. Ravens. Emmett Thomas. Yes. So, Joe Witt. Yeah. Some good coaches. Good coaches on that. Good on that staff there. So they probably could speak more about it. You know, me being a player. They probably could speak more about it from a coach standpoint, but it was different as a player. I just something we never experienced before. Wait, what I want to hear about is him being cut the day before training camp. Because that <laughs> that elicited a, a chuckle from him. Like there's something there. I want to hear that story. No, nah, it, it. it ain't nothing there. I just got cut. I got <laughs> cut the day before the uh season started in Jacksonville. So, well, wait, wait, left. Come on now. How many guys get cut the day before the season starts? Well, two. Somebody. It happened to the guy that uh, it happened to Dave too. <laughs> two years later, I think. So Dave Garrard. Yeah. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! Did it really? Yeah, I think he got cut the day before the uh, something like that. The day before the two days before the season started. I think I got cut two days before the season started. Okay, you know where my mind's starting to go right now, right? Man, it's just part of the process. It, it ain't nobody's fault. You are, you are getting real, real it's, it's, it's part right of the now, process. You know. Like, really, as a player, it's the best thing ever happened to me. Because what it did, what? it allowed me, once I got cut, right, it allowed me to go and play in Pittsburgh. It really allowed me to be involved with all my connections that I, I got an opportunity to meet B.A., got an opportunity to play for Mike Tomlin and learn from him. Had an opportunity to go around great football players, a young Antonio Brown, a young Emmanuel Sanders. Ben Roethlisberger was the quarterback. I'm in the room with him every day, having the opportunity to learn from him. Just the game of football. Uh, being around like Heath Millers, being around like our defense, 
Larry Foote, James Ferrier, Troy Palomalu, just Ike Taylor, just Hamp. Just being around those type of guys, just it was good for me at that time, just because I learned so much from that organization. And maybe I never get there, and maybe I never get the, you know, to see those things without having the opportunity to go to Pittsburgh. So that ultimately gave me the opportunity to go to Pittsburgh to see all the things that I saw in my second half of my career to build the relationships that I built. Uh, my guys in Jacksonville, I still love them. I'm still friends with a bunch of those guys. I mean, I'll be friends with those guys in Jayville for the rest of my life. You know, we built something there that'll last forever. So, but, you know, I, that's how I really view it. I view, really view it as me getting cut as a player. Like I tell you, once you get cut as a player, everything else you can deal with. <laughs> mm, mm. Once you get cut as a player, that's why I approach the cutting process the way that I do, because people don't understand what what that's really like. You know what that's really like. And so once I got cut as a player, everything else was a plus from that that point on. What do you mean you approach it the way that you do? Do you mean with a player when a player is being cut? Yeah, like as being the coach, I understand what it means to be cut. Mm-hmm. For someone to tell you that, hey man. Unfortunately, it's not going to work out because what I try to tell people, don't let me, don't let no other coach, don't let no other person affect your relationship with the game of football because it's unique to you. It's unique to that person. And it's a lot of people that has gotten cut before, moved on, went to other places and became Hall of Fame football players. So I try to give them the mindset of don't let me, don't let any coach. Just because it's not working out and you're getting cut, tell you that you're not good enough in this league. Because you are. It's just the way that the process is, those things happen. So I don't want nobody affect. I always talk to these guys about allowing people to affect their relationship that they have with this game. Because they the ones sleeping at night dreaming this stuff. You know, they are the one daydreaming when they're 10, 11, 12 years old. They, that's their dream. So don't allow nobody else to get involved in that at all. You just keep working and keep trying to get to that point and keep trying to achieve those goals that you want to achieve. Don't allow me or any other person, any other coach to get in the way of that. You know, Steve, that there's another reason why you know this man is going to be a successful head coach. Yeah, I'm about to so, save, that for, save that one, that clip for the job interview. Yeah, you turn a, neg- a negative into a positive, man. It's how you view life, you know? That's what it's about. And now starring on the 2022 Hard Knocks virus. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, love, before, before we get you out of here, how was the celebration party on the river, bro? Oh, man. It's, uh, <laughs> it was special. It was special. Uh, I've never seen nothing like that. Uh, I've been a part in parade. I remember being in Pittsburgh, being on the parade, and we were going up and down the street, and you're seeing people. But, man, we were on the water. It's 80 degrees. <laughs> like, <laughs> And, man, it was – man, just to see the energy, just to see the energy out there. I'm quite sure you guys have saw it. That's a unique thing. I've never seen a parade. That's that has to be the number one parade ever. <laughs> it was, I'm, I'm, hey, it looked like it was the best Super Bowl parade Tom Brady went through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just good to see our guys in that situation, man. It was good to see that. It was good to see them celebrating the way that they celebrated because, like. This is a hard practicing team. This is a hard working team. This team puts in work day in and day out. We never have to say sick them. We we got most of the time we got to say whoa 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 whoa. We never have to tell this group of men to sick them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they 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 have the right mindset. They have the right energy about the game. We as coaches just trying to keep putting them in position so they can have as much success as possible. Left man no, this has been this has been tremendous. So I can't wait for you to sit down in front of owners and and they get a feel for who you are and what you're about. Cause I have no doubt based on your experiences, your acumen, your intelligence, all of that, you're gonna be a successful head coach, man. So Steve and I appreciate you coming on the show like this, you know, a few days after the Super Bowl, because it would have been real easy for you to say, you know what, Jim? <laughs> You know, after that, after that boat parade, I'm good. That's why know? I asked you. That's why I had to, I had to see you on Thursday. No way. Yeah. I, say. Yeah. I feel you. Not, you're not. Hey, Jim, I'm on, I'm on a par four. I'm on a whole nine. You know, exactly. 
Let yes. me imagine you after I heard it. No, man, I, we appreciate you. So, no, nah, thanks guys yeah. for having me on, man. Appreciate you guys yeah. and the work that you're doing. Steve, we told our listeners this, this is a special man. And I think having listened to that interview, they can understand why now. So calm, so reasoned, knows the game from a player standpoint, from a coaching standpoint. And more than anything, I think Byron Leftwich is a leader. And I think that's one of the reasons he's going to be successful going forward. So much love and appreciation to him for coming on a few days after the Super Bowl and the day after that parade where we saw <laughs> it took its toll on a few of the Bucks, but uh, but Byron was able to handle it. Hey, hey look, and, and you know, and much props to him because he was in that locker room with the Falcons in 07, which was an absolutely, I mean, one of the craziest experiences you could ever have. I couldn't imagine being a player with that Falcons team and just the way he kind of handled it, his answer and everything else. Again, he's, Byron is a real one. He is a Southeast D.C. cat. And for those who don't know, Southeast D.C. is as real as it gets. And so there's no way coming from there there could be any BS about him. And the fact that he's gotten to where he's gotten and has the outlook that he has is a testament. You talk about character. You talk about grown man. You talk about someone using all of his experiences as a springboard instead of as, you know, just say, hey, this is what I did. He's like, no, this is what I'm going to build on is is just as impressive and as solid as it gets. And so Byron left, which is a real one. And Jimmy just turned 41, man. He's two years younger crazy. than Tom Brady, bro. Crazy, man. <laughs> it's crazy. But, you know, but he's lived, a, he's lived a life. He's lived a lot, as you said, coming from Southeast D.C., where – you know, he had dreams and aspirations and watching Doug Williams and getting a chance to play in college and then going on the NFL. He has experienced a lot. And I think all of those life experiences are what help or what will help him, again, be a successful head coach. Because at the end of the day, Steve, as a head coach, you got to be able to connect with your players, you know, and, and, and you have to get them to a point where they see that you can help them be successful and achieve all the goals, whatever it is they may, it, they may be, whether it's football, whether it's life, whether it's financial. And he gets all that. And it comes through in that interview. So, again, I'm looking forward to the cycle next year and when he finally gets a chance to sit down in front of owners. Because if they try and tell me that this guy isn't head coaching material. Um, <laughs> Ain't going to fly, bro. No, not at all. Not They're at all. They're a mistake. They're a mistake. Hey, Jim, before we get out of here, we have to take another moment uh, to acknowledge some heartbreak in our industry and in our brotherhood. Um, you know, look, we've had some tremendous losses lately. Sekou Smith, Chris Wesley, Marty McNeil, um, Pedro Gomez, and we just lost another brother uh, in our industry, Jim, one of your Hall of Fame selectors, uh, Therese Paler, who worked for Yahoo Sports, who is based in Kansas City. Therese was 37 years old, and he died in his sleep. It is heartbreaking. Um, I'm sure I'm going to shed some more tears over this one. And, you know, look, life is fragile. So smell the roses. Smell the roses and just understand that people mean a lot every day, no matter what type of mood you're in or whatever, because Therese loved life. You know, I never had a conversation with him where he wasn't talking about his fiance Ebony. They were, you know, going to get married at, at some point, and um, it's it's a tough one. This is this is a a brutal a brutal of a stretch. As, as you know, when you think about your peers and people your age, Jim and uh, Therese, you know, you, we we know you're looking down on us. We love you, bro. Everyone who has left us, uh, we love you, and you know, we're here for you to continue your legacy. Yeah, he's, he was a special young man. The thing is, he was going to be a star. He was a star, yeah. but he had not risen to the level that his star was going to go, but he was on his way. And um, I think if you really want to know a lot about Therese as well, who was one of our Howard brothers as well, um, read the column that his co-worker wrote on him, that Charles Robinson wrote. Right. It's, um, it's just amazing. It's touching. Um, it tells you a lot about who Therese was. And he will definitely be missed, Steve, no question. And it, you're right. This, this last week in particular has just been a gut punch. Um, when you think about, they're not just members of our industry, they're quality people, you know. 
every last human word. beings. Yeah, and that's what makes it so hard, uh, particularly at a time where the state that our country is in. So um, our thoughts and our prayers are with their family and, and um, we love them and, and they're gonna be missed. Jim, why don't you take us home? Yeah. Let's, let's do this one for the spirit of Therese. Well, once again, we thank you for listening to the podcast. We thank you for subscribing. Uh, please continue, leave us messages. Let us know who you'd like to hear from, what you'd like to hear about. That way we can continue to give you more of what you're funking for. That's right. You've been listening to the Huddle and Flow podcast brought to you by Intuit, proud makers of QuickBooks, TurboTax, and Mint. I am Steve Weich, my brother Jim Trotter, my brother Thomas Warren. We're the Howard Mob. We love y'all. And tell everyone you know that you love them because life is fragile. We are out. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.